Technically, it's three camps. We have three different encampments. Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods. Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Three camps. Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run. River Outpost. The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates. Three camps. Hello and welcome to the Three Camps Podcast. I'm John Cooper. With me as always, your host, Seth Coates. Howdy. Seth, we are into episode seven here. But before we get into it, um, I just want to let everyone know we've talked about the ice. We've talked about the snow. We have no more of either here in the uh, Brookwoods and Deer Run camp in New Hampshire. Ice out officially happened. Two days ago, right? Yeah. It's crazy. So now it's just mud and some slightly warmer weather. My two-year-old son has discovered that everyone says I'm a stick in the mud. He's yes. like a pig in the mud. I mean, he's like definitely <laughs> getting dirty. My, uh, my youngest as well. Every time. Oh yeah. yeah. He just loves being outside. Even this morning, I cracked open the sliding door and he was out there. By the time my wife woke up, she we had just come in. She picks him up and she goes, he's so cold. And I was like, well, we were outside. <laughs> <laughs> my wife will do the thing. I'll like, come on, let's get you changed. You're all muddy. And then like. I mean, seconds later, it's like you find some other mud. I just changed those pants. Uh, so, but here's the question. What's it up in Maine? Yeah, so it's still like winter in Maine. My goodness. Um, yeah, it's, so I go up in like three weeks. Yeah. And. Snowmobile? No, I won't need a snowmobile, but there's a good chance um, we have a side-by-side. Oh, yeah. But it's in at the shop and the road is only plowed in like a mile and a half. So I have another mile and a half. Oh, if it's not clear enough to drive a truck in, I'll have to walk. You're that. walking. And then even if it is clear enough to get the truck in, there's yeah. a good chance um, from the shop to the house that I live in on property is another mile. So we're four miles deep at this point. Um, there's a good chance that section, there's some spots that wind drift deep enough that yeah. I might not be able to get the truck in to the house. So I might need to get the side by side to physically get to where I live. Um, who knows it guaranteed there will still be ice plenty of it on the lake when i get there yeah yeah and it will probably snow while i'm there which is normal for early may i don't know that everyone realizes it's truly an outpost i mean you guys are in there it's the end of the earth yeah 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 (laughs) don't tell canada (laughs) (laughs) We're Uh, we're the last stop yeah that's what i tell people it's not quite true but um but we're the last one of the last things before you hit Canada. All right. So that transitions nicely because one, we have teased this a little bit, but we're going to continue to tease. We've got some good episodes coming, some fun ones, I think. I think we're going to have some things that continue to be like us, which is totally different than anything else. Yeah. We might even uh, might throw one your way, John. What does that mean? Well, we'll see. Topic wise, maybe it'll be food or, oh, don't tease or me. something like that. <laughs> Everyone loves to talk about food. I'm sure of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe we'll do something uh, food related. But um, speaking of the end of the earth and almost to Canada, it kind of leads nicely into this episode. We have a conversion of our three camps, really. Yeah. And uh, we're going to get into it um, right now. Episode seven, baby. Let us get into it.
So Seth, before we bring in our guests, this was a story that took place in 2019. It took place at MRO. You remember this? Yeah, pretty well. All right. So give us the, uh, the, why don't you lay the scene here for what, what was about to happen? Yeah. So the backstory is, um, back in the windfall days, we started having the LDP crowd, the LDP twos come up to camp and it's a part of a, our part is just a small part of the trip. So the trip is first they go to pine tree camp, which is a couple hours South of us. And it's a camp that serves special needs kids. Awesome. Um, super cool. And they, I think spend two days there, um, helping and serving anywhere they can working with that staff there to serve their kids. So they come to MRO, do some service projects with us and go rafting out from there cool. so in this year um there were two like projects and we it, there's piles of them right when ldp shows up it's like a whole nother camp has showed up um which is great so we usually put them on some like brute force project and i have to stop you let me ask you this do you have like five years of projects i mean is there a list where it's like we'll tackle this in 2025 sure course yeah, yeah. Okay. i got spreadsheets for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so this is help i guess people come and you're like i know where to put you yeah exactly yeah. okay yep uh so they were working on an area that we're developing for mountain biking it'll be a large scale pump track and then they were also doing a waterfront project and that's where our story takes us today okay cool first we're going to bring in two ladies to help tell this story we have with us elise vasco Hi, my name is Elise Vasco. I was a camper for nine summers, including LDP, and I was on staff for three summers. If you had to choose top bunk or bottom bunk and why? Well, I am a top bunk girl and I don't, I, I think I just, you know, from Whitetail Cabin ended up on the top bunk. But then it becomes kind of a tradition. And I will say there's a lot of camp games, at least on the deer run side of things, that will play top bunk versus bottom bunk. And my theory, this is probably not true, but <laughs> it takes some athleticism to get onto the top bunk. Wow. So the team that I want to be on for a camp game, it's the top bunk team. <laughs> oh, that's savvy. Wow. I wonder if Mary Beth has ever connected that. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Top bunks always win? Not necessarily, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe they have a greater percentage of the time. All right. I like it. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Let's yeah, say they absolutely do. Great. I'm a proud top bunk yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs> we win more games. <laughs> and along with Elise, we were joined by her co-counselor, Jesse Rucroix. Uh, my name is Jesse Rucroix. I have been at camp as a camper for five years, including LDP and as a counselor for two years, um, bottom bunk, because I am prone to fall off the bed and uh, I have fallen off the bed. So <laughs> I stay low to the ground. <laughs> okay, every time, we're just gonna say it again, we do have bed rails to the moms out there. We have, we have bed rails. <laughs> we do. Fun fact though, they're not on the bottom bunk. So you can fall off the bottom bunk. Oh, right. Well, collateral damage, I guess it's fine. Yeah, it's not a big deal. <laughs> This story came to us through our voicemail. Jessie called in to remind us of this story at the behest of her LDP group. And when Seth and I were listening to the voicemail, we were like, oh yeah, that's right, that did happen. 
And we thought we'd ask Jesse and Elise to come in and tell us about this crazy day they had. So we had brought our campers up to MRO to perform some service. We were doing some trail maintenance and setting up a canoe path. And Elise and I were on the canoe path team. We had our gloves and we were with some really eager campers and we were laying out some rocks. As we were lifting, we, um, I had just lifted up this rock that was really heavy. So I was feeling confident and I think that confidence got the best of me. And so I found another heavy rock and I said, Hey, Jesse, can you help me lift this rock? And we pick it up and it's just, it's much too heavy, at least for me, Jesse, you probably could have handled it with someone stronger than me, but <laughs> I have no upper body strength. And so, um, the rock's falling and I didn't have time to say, Jesse, Hey, I'm going to drop this rock. And her finger happens to be right underneath it. And then underneath her finger is another rock. So as the rock falls to the ground, um, Jesse got stuck with the rock we were carrying and another rock on the ground. And the force, I think of the rock underneath was what split the skin on top of your left middle finger open. And as soon you took your glove off and the glove was a bag of tomato sauce. Wait, what? Ugh. Well, and we ran into the um, that basement cafe area to look at it in the sink, and it was just very obvious that it was not going to be a Band-Aid. It was going to need some stitches. So I want to stop and say to our listeners, both Jesse and Elise have studied medicine and are going to continue to study medicine. So this is not just somebody going, oh, I think, you know, they actually have a little bit more than the average person knowing what kind of treatment was needed. And I don't, I, maybe that was a good test for you guys to be like, okay, we can stand the sight of blood, you know, a lot of blood, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was really comforting to have Elise there, especially because she's graduated college. She knows a lot. I was pre-law at that point. And after that, I decided to go into medicine. Wow. Because right. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I had just spent the last year working in an emergency room. So if anything could have prepared me, I would say it would be seeing all of those lacerations. But I was amazed with how Jesse reacted she's in so much pain i mean you can see her finger looks awful and um just the way that she you know was able to compose herself in front of the campers and kind of not let them see what had happened that was pretty extreme until we could go to the nurse and get help was i i don't think i would have reacted the same way jesse you were amazing i think i think i was just in shock i cried later um but that resulted in a trip to the er um with Elise and I in the, what they call the stormtrooper, I think. <laughs> yeah, we call all the white vans up north stormtroopers. And that year, you'll remember all the support vehicles were those big black SUVs. So we called ours Darth Vader. <laughs> so it was either go get stormtrooper number one, two, or three, or Vader. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we ended up needing to go to a health center. And so Elise and I took the stormtrooper there um, and they did not allow me to get my hand stitched up. I guess they were worried about a break in the x-ray machine being in the middle of nowhere only came on Thursdays and it wasn't a Thursday. Yeah. Fun fact, the little town of Jackman, if you need yes. stitches, oh, it's actually God. a good place to go. But if you need an x-ray, you better go somewhere else. Okay. 
Yes, we went and saw a PA. And Jesse, I have to say, in my mind, the reason that we took the van, so we go to the nurse, they said, okay, you got to get this checked out. We'll call down to the PA 15 minutes down the road. And so I told one of our co-counselors, hey, we're just going to go. We'll be right back. It's 15 minutes down the road. And I just grabbed the van keys and go. And in hindsight, you know, probably we should have been in a Jeep. We should. We didn't need to take a 15 passenger van all the way two hours to Skowhegan <laughs> to the hospital, right. but we didn't know we were going to the hospital. So we thought we were just going to go 15 minutes to this clinic. And then they sent us to the hospital, which added on the driving miles. And now we're in this 15 passenger van, just the two of us. Um, but that ended up saving our lives probably. Probably. All right. Enough foreshadowing. Let's keep going. So <laughs> PA says it's not Thursday. And so you're like, all right, I guess we're heading south. And you head to Skowhegan. Yes. All right. Road trip. I think at this point, our spirits are still pretty high. We were laughing, listening yeah. to our music. We were just sad that we were missing out on the time with the kids, honestly. Yeah. But we said, you know what, let's look at this as a bonding opportunity. We can, you know, I mean, I think we were listening to worship music in the van on our way to the ER. So we were trying to turn it into um, just this unforeseen circumstance into something that we could be positive about. But um, yeah, not what we were expecting that day to wake up and be going to the hospital. Right. Yeah. I think this like part of the story is a testament to the power of prayer because um Elise, Elise is my prayer warrior, and she prayed throughout the entire sum- summer. Well, and Jesse, I, I remember praying too. We were praying that your finger wasn't broken, but I remember you saying, Elise, I really think it's broken. Mm. I've broken fingers before, and it feels broken to me. Mm. And so having – this is fast-forwarding a little bit, but the doctor who saw us was so great, and he came back in and said – it, it's not broken. Let's stitch this up. Cause I think their caution was if it was broken, they weren't necessarily going to stitch it right away. Um, anyway, I just thought that was a miracle in and of itself that your finger didn't break because it was an extreme laceration. Mm. I was pleasantly surprised at the, um, reaction of the people in the ER. They were really excited to see a laceration. I think it was like new and, I don't know, like they were taking photos and like asking us like what kind of outdoor activities we were doing. And um, we had fun. We kept laughing. We had great conversation with the employees at the hospital. I think I think the guys at the hospital were also kind of into like rafting and hiking. And so they'd seen injuries like this. And I was like, I'm supposed to help lead like a rafting trip tomorrow. Is there any way I can do this? And the guy was like, yeah, stick a trash bag on it. Like you can definitely do that. Um <laughs> So we left the hospital in really high spirits as well. Yes. Um, and, and at that point we had, it was before Shabugmu. So we asked the doctor, do you think she can go on this 12 day com- canoe trip in remote Canada? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, sure. And he said, you have to get your stitches out in two weeks, but you can take them out yourself. I love wow. it. Which he did, by the way. <laughs> Skowhegan. You got to love that place. No kidding, man. Man, these guys are. <laughs> rugged. Yeah. The best kind of rugged. Yeah. Um, so I think we left the hospital in high spirits, almost like too high to the point where we were distracted from the fact that our gas tank was empty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was the next, the next step in our adventure. I know. I think I was so relieved that we, that you were okay and that you had gotten it stitched and we were on our way back to camp. 
that I wasn't thinking about how much gas is in the van. And by the time I realized it was low, I, we were so far away from Skowhegan and we were so far, uh, the closest gas tank to us or gas station to us at that point was going to be going forward. Oh boy. All right. So Seth, I have to stop here. You, I imagine have policies in place for things like gas tanks and travel. Yeah. So you wouldn't in our modern society, like you don't, we just don't think in these terms on a normal basis, but yes, when you deal with our location and the section of road they're talking about, we are talking about 79 miles Okay, where you cannot rely on a gas station being open or if they're open necessarily having gas. Oh my goodness. So yeah, we, yeah, the way we deal with this is we don't drive south of Jackman or really leave property without first filling up the gas tank of whatever vehicle it is. And yeah. when they're parked and ready to go out, they're full. The maintenance staff make sure that the vehicles are full. Right. And I'm okay. So I do want to, I want to defend these girls in the sense that a, this is out of context for them. B, they're very bright. These two are like going to be doctors and that's great. Um, and in all fairness, they only thought they were going to town. Oh yeah. Coming right. back. Right. Good point. They weren't planning on going further South. Sure. And with all the things going on, I, I let's just say any one of us could have mistakenly missed the gas tank. I'm sure there's people listening. They're like, I would have never, and maybe you wouldn't have never, but you know, at this point, but in your world, your staff know, like, this is part of the job. You yeah. have to check gas yeah. tanks. And just to, like, drive it home, like, my own paranoia, like, there's a <laughs> Irving gas station that is the last one in Skowhegan before you enter what we, this area we call affectionately the dead zone. Yeah. That I always stop there and fill up before I head north. It doesn't matter what my needle says on the gas gauge and how many miles left to empty. I don't care. I stop there. I use the bathroom. I fill up on gas. I head north. Well, you, you have a problem. I mean, we could probably... Have, it's true. <laughs> I'm a neurotic No, person. no, no. It's good. It makes perfect sense. I'm sure, by the way, this is all from experience, right? You've, yeah, you've, I've run out of gas yes. in that section yeah, 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 more yeah. than once, actually. But we didn't know if we were going to make it, and it's getting dark, and our phones are dying, and we have very little service. Um, so I remember, Jesse, I don't know what you were thinking, but I was just thinking are we going to have to sleep on the side of the road tonight in this van? <laughs> and we just both were getting quiet <laughs> and not saying much to one another, but just focusing on driving. And I'm just watching the gauge mm. click down miles to empty, you know, 15, 14, 13. So we called you, Seth, yeah. at one point to say, hey, what do we do? We're nervous that we're going to run out of gas and the closest station is Jackman. Yeah. So I get a phone call and it's the girls from, and they're on their trip back and they're a little bit nervous that they're going to run out of gas. So, um, they're asking me what they should do. And I know because they're on the phone with me roughly where they are, there's only cell signal in a very small window on this section of road. So, um, I ask them, you know, read the dash, tell me how many miles you have till empty. And she tells me and I say, okay, and you probably passed. I describe a few landmarks so I know where they are. And I say, you're going to make it. You're going to get to Jackman, but do not drive past a gas station. Stop and fill up. You're going to be okay. And now we're praying that we're going <laughs> to not be stranded on the side of the road. So before it was all <laughs> prayer concentrated on Jesse's finger. And now we're just praying, Lord, get us to Jackman, Maine. <laughs> um, that should yeah. be a song title right there. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Get us to Jackman, Maine. Yeah. We've been talking about Jackman. 
Stop at the first gas station. They get gas, which is phenomenal, and uh, and they're like relieved at this point. They've been dealing with stress probably for about two hours. Well, I have to say, Jesse, I was so stressed about getting there, getting to Bishop's, and my adrenaline is going. And now I feel relaxed because I know camp is so close. So, in my mind, we're. You know, this is the final stretch. It's as if we are there back at camp. Um, the Lord has answered prayer, right? Yes. It's like real relief. Yeah. Oh, we've had this crazy day. We're so close. We're going to get back to our campers. We can tell them all of what happened. And by this time, it's dark. Yeah. It's 1030 at night. I wasn't thinking to use maps because it's just a straight shot and you just pull in to the camp driveway, which has a brown sign, which conveniently blends in in the dark. But I'm thinking there's no way we're going to miss that. We'll keep an eye out. Um, so from where they are, they drive another couple of miles and then it's just woods at that point. Um, and if you knew where the side roads were and stuff, you might know some landmarks, but they don't. Um, so they're feeling good. So they don't turn on their GPS. Um, they've been to camp before and, and they know where they're headed. So they head to camp. Um, the bummer is they miss the driveway. Now this is not hard to do, especially at night. Um, because there's no lights there. It's not, we don't have a lit sign. The sign is three miles from the camp. We didn't run an electric cord there. I think just the combination of having that intense stress and then kind of being relieved and then so close to camp, not knowing exactly how close we're not tracking it on maps. We just blow right by it. So they drive by the driveway. So yeah. when do you re- when do you realize that you've missed the driveway? When we hit the Canadian border. Yes. <laughs> In my mind, I'm going. Please say Canada. Please say Canada. <laughs> oh, it gets better because a white van making a U-turn at the oh, border yeah. means that someone's going to follow you because that looks sketchy. So they see the sign. They realize, whoa, we've missed the driveway. Let's turn around. So they turn around and head back south now they don't know it at this point but an off-duty customs and border protection agent is headed home from work so just two miles up the road is this big complex and this person is headed home so this person's behind them on the road um and they they're headed back to camp and they drive for a ways and they're they're actually not far from camp we were just dead set i think at this point we're driving in complete silence just like let's get there missed turn we lost the gas we got stitches we just need to get there we're going downhill um even at the speed limit like the speed limit in that on that road is pretty fast we had just turned around and we have our maps on now so that we can track where camp is in relation to where we are and a couple minutes after we had turned around, there is a moose in the middle of the road in our lane, licking salt off the road. That is pretty common in Maine. There are signs everywhere that say break for moose, but it's yeah. one of those things where you see the sign and you think, 
that will never happen to me. (laughs) That would happen to other people, but that's not going to happen to me. Um, Bob's driving school, shout out, does train you for what to do in the event of deer and moose. (laughs) (laughs) And the rules for Bob's driving school are hit the deer, miss the moose. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) I will confess I have broken some of Bob's driving school rules. (laughs) Possible. Possible. Um, <laughs> so moose comes out of nowhere and i don't know if if you have a lot of experience with moose um you know that sometimes they are just crossing the road it's not like deer where they get skittish right and they'll do that thing where they dodge back or they they're not sure if they're going to commit the moose are committed it's the biggest animal in the woods <laughs> uh when they decide to cross the road they're crossing the road so this bull moose this big thing and apparently had a pretty good size rack on it um decides to cross the road mm. right in front of them and uh they do all the right things they swerve they break um but in and they, they talk about this but um in a van you get one move you can swerve left <clears throat> or you can swerve right but you can't do both so it's it's unsafe to do both so you pick one you do it and hope for the best i hit the brakes i swerved a little bit you don't want to swerve too much because the vans can be top heavy and you don't want to flip the van but we hit the moose head on. Yeah, I think it all happened in my mind really slow motion. Like I swear the moose looked at us right as we were like going for it. And um, yeah, it just felt like a slow motion movie. Like, I don't know. I just remember right before and right after and I think I was screaming. We were probably both screaming and then we were laughing. I was laughing because just shock. We were like, what do we do? I remember being clueless. Like, I finally like really have no idea. Like, I think before we could call someone, we could drive a little further, look up directions. And at this point, I just didn't know what to do. And I think, yeah, at that point, I think we just wanted to get the car someplace safe. Yeah. And the fact that we were in the Stormtrooper saved us. Had we been in a car or even a Jeep, the moose's antlers would have shattered the windshield. Mm. Now, the good news is they're in a van, so they hit this moose. I mean, the grill was just smushed like an accordion. Mm. And I have photos, you can see the headlights were dangling off the side like an eye or something. Yeah. And... Just the fact that we hit it at the right angle, I suppose, where the antlers didn't crash into us and that we were both physically okay in the immediate aftermath of that collision was a miracle to me. And just looking at Jesse, and I, I want to say the antlers were on kind of your side. They're high enough up off the ground that it's uh, not going to crush the car, which is how people die from hitting moose. Um, and, and in their swerve and their break, it sounds like they hit probably the back end of the moose instead of teeing it up. Mm -hmm. Um, and the moose runs off and they drive down to the MRO driveway, which is not far up ahead and they park it there. And so they're in a white, relatively unmarked van parked at the end of a youth camps driveway. And here comes our off duty uh, customs and border protection agent and everybody in our town kind of knows who we are and what we do. And so they see this and they're like, something's not right about this. And so to this, it's a female officer. She stops, um, and is like, I need to get this story. What's going on. 
Um, so she just pulled over and was like, Hey, what's up? Like, like what's going on? And she just sees two girls like crying and hugging. And I think that was another love tap from God is that this was, I think it being a woman was really helpful in the moment. And also she knew how to get around the camp. And so she just invited us into her like little Subaru outback. Yeah. And she, yeah, we, um, were able to drive down that long three mile driveway (laughs) with her. We took all of our stuff out of the van and said goodbye. (laughs) That van was totaled. Oh man. Sadly. Um, so they kind of make a plan on what to do next. And, and she brings the girls, drives them in. So at this point, they're looking at a three mile walk to camp Mm. from where they are. Um, so thank goodness this woman's there and she drives them in to the center of camp they find our tripping director um jason helps them figure out um you know how to get in touch with the sheriff's department because they're going to need to do that and um jesse's able to go about back to their group the ldp group and our our friendly customs and border protection agent actually drives her over there while jason helps um while jason helps elise go back out to the van and meet with the sheriff and figure things. And I was able to go back to the campers and to our co-counselors and kind of let them know we were okay and fill them in on what Elise was up to. And um, we were praying for you, Elise. When we got back, everyone was so worried about you. Um, And all the campers, they were fine. They were having a bonfire, (laughs) just kind of singing around. They came over and hugged me and then they were like, wait, where's Elise? Uh, Uh, Let's just say shout out to the Andrews for, you know, holding it down, keeping it together. That's good. Um, So I just, I was, I think at that point, like my adrenaline rush had kind of settled and I was just like, this just happened. So I asked the guys and Larson and Andrew to get the kids up in a circle by the fire. And I was going to explain what happened. And of course, you know, I think some kids heard the story and I, I mean, I like tell a story now and it sounds like this legendary story, but it was also a traumatic story. Sure. So much stuff happened. And, um, so I just shared this story, and as I was sharing it, I think I started talking slower. Um, these LDPs, they're so smart. They they know. Like, they know that it's hard. And I think one of them just started strumming on his ukulele and singing. Um, so he started playing Above All, and that's a pretty slow song. I think it's honestly a song that I like saying when I was a really little kid in Sunday school. Like, it's an older worship song. Hmm. And um, they started singing that kind of solemnly, and... I think some of the girls were like holding my hand and the guys were just like singing so loud. And it always makes me happy when I hear the camp guys singing loud because you don't get that anywhere else. Um, It was a really emotional moment. I think we were thanking God that we were safe and alive and um, we're praying for Elise. And I think like that was a testament to how much these kids had grown since I had only known them a month, but they just like took me under their wing. It was a very humbling experience. And they were just like, this is our turn to care for her and our turn to care for Elise and the counselors because they need support. And they were able to do that. And um, the next day um, the kids were to go rafting and I wasn't able to go because um, just, you know, getting an open wound wet isn't the best thing. Um, so I stayed back and that was that was really good. That was healing. Um, as a counselor, um, I was just thinking like, I can't do all these things for my campers. Like I can't even go rafting with them. Am I going to be able to go kayaking with them or canoeing with them? Um, and that was an insecurity that kind of was with me all summer long. Um, just cause I was a younger counselor. I was 19 
and my campers were 17 and 18. I had breakfast with the MRO staff and then I was just sitting on the lake and I opened my Bible and was like, God, I need hope. I need something that won't make me feel so like unable and incapable to do all these things I need to do. And um, I read 2 Corinthians 4, which the whole chapter is really good, but I know one segment that's really well known is um, where God talks about us as being jars of clay and um, how our brokenness can show his glory even more. Um, and so I just, I wrote, I think I was sitting there reading that over and over again and writing for like two hours. And then I ended up sharing it with the campers. Um, just the fact that like, I mean, I know my brokenness as a human, but um, my inability, like my body's inability to do things, like having a little injury in my hand isn't that big of a deal, but the the trauma and just like, it caused me to slow down in a way that I don't think I had slowed down that summer. Um, and yeah, I guess I just saw how God was still able to work through me and I was able to have really good conversations with the campers because I was forced to slow down and just sit with them more. On that, in that same vein, when I, whenever I tell the story, I say, this is a story about the power of prayer. And this is a story about how God shows up in, in crazy situations. And um, I was very humbled by everything that happened. And you have to stay humble and realize that it's God who's going to work through you. And he's the one too that will humble us and remind us of our weakness and of our shortcomings and how we just need to depend on him and lean into it. And um, yeah, he did, he did work in a mighty way that day. So it's been a cool testimony. Every time I've gotten to share that story, it's been an opportunity to talk about God too. Mm. Well, that kind of concludes our story here. Seth, I don't know about you, but I love the idea that when Jesse talked about you know, she's the counselor, right? But then she gets to a point where the kids are kind of ministering to her. And we have this common theme now. Worship plays a part of a lot of our stories, which I don't think I ever saw coming. Mm-hmm. It's kind of great. It is. We're into, this will be our fourth memorable trip episode. And yeah, I mean, we we probably don't need to keep counting anymore, but <laughs> it seems like something around trips just stands out to people. Yeah. Also, I think when we started the idea of memorable trips, we kind of had these four in mind. So mm-hmm. we may kind of step away from it for a little bit, but give ourselves the option to keep coming back to it. Yep. Okay. So this is interesting because now we can say, okay, what's the takeaway from this? But also we, we were talking off mic. I think there's a couple things that are thematic throughout. Certainly, as this episode's titled, there's some highs and lows. Yeah. Well, but, if when you hear the girls talk, I mean, they feel all the feels. Yeah. All in one day. Yeah. It's a big day. <laughs> it is a big day. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, you know, we talk a lot about trips being a place where hardship is kind of found, adversity is found, and then the Lord sustains us uh, through, you know, all the stories that we've told. That's been kind of a common theme. Clearly, these two were interested in seeing the Lord you know, in these moments and giving him praise and then coming back to the group and having a full out worship is just awesome. Mm. And, um, I mean, shout out to Jesse for her, the bigger, right. The word that she was a theme for her, but this is Jesse Woodring. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it seems it's a theme through kind of each one of these as you, you know, in this one that we just heard, especially the, they see kind of God show up in their campers after this big day. 
And, and I think you can see that in each one of the episodes that we've done on trips that like God shows up in a way that's bigger than maybe we presuppose him to be or to think that we might experience uh, along the way. And a lot of times the new guy that I am to this whole thing, I just keep seeing this is camp in my mind flashing. There's just this point where you go, you know, we don't necessarily know. We want to know. You probably more than anyone would like to know what the day is going to look like. You know enough to know it's never going to go the way you probably thought it would or the way you planned. And you build that into the plan. But it's like we're always sort of at the whim of what's happening to us, you know, with some thought behind it. And man, for these campers and for all this, you just think like Jesse and Elise never thought this day was going to happen, you know? And the two guys that were back yeah. with the group didn't think this day was going to happen. And, you know, I'll go ahead and say the moose probably didn't think this day was going to happen. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, they came they came back to it with a place of going, okay, like we're, we're being sustained. And people come here and they, they kind of get a little bit taken out of their comfort zone, then brought to a place where they go, hopefully... I learned a lot and mm. I was grown and the Lord really sustains. Yeah. I was talking with my son once coming down, we were hiking a mountain and um, we were talking kind of about this theme of like adversity and, and he was saying, well, dad, I'm just not tough like you. And uh, we were trying to talk through that and I was saying like, no, you know, I think tough is this thing is like a muscle where we have to go outside of what we're comfortable with. We have to do things that are harder than we think maybe we can and we get tougher over time mm -hmm. and i think just listening to you like this is a theme in our spiritual lives too where like reflectively i feel this way about every summer that i've had so far of mm -hmm. like i go into it with a plan i really think of myself as a professional problem solver where i just do things as they come uh and and then at the end of it all, we look back and we say, oh, here's where God showed up in that. And here's where God showed up in that. Mm. And here's where God showed up in that. And our faith or our trust in him becomes bigger as we get stretched and as we encounter all this adversity and as we kind of grow through it all. And um, it takes a look back and a reflection sometimes, but I think it's a thing that grows gradually. All right. So thinking about what you just said there, I, I here's here's where I want to amend, you know, you come here and you get taken out of your comfort zone. I think I'm just going to say a better way to say it is that you come here and you see the Lord in a different way. And, you know, you think about a COVID year where we're all stuck in our houses, or you think about, you know, people talking about how adversity doesn't find us as often as maybe it did in past eras. Certainly we come to camp and I'm thinking about you in that boat you know, at the end of our fishing episode, or I'm thinking about, you know, the salt group looking over the Grand Canyon or any one of these memorable trips. And, you know, what's really stark is that we just meet the Lord, you know, in, in ways that, you know, probably are a little bit sneaky. You know, you're not really necessarily thinking you're going to come into this experience uh, and have that be the thing that sticks out at us. But as you said, in reflection, you know, I think that's a really cool what ends up not really being the side aspect of camp, but the full aspect of camp, which is one that we didn't see coming. Mm. Thanks so much for listening to the Three Camps podcast. This has been our seventh episode produced by John Cooper and myself. 
Special thanks to Elise Vasco and Jesse Requois for joining us today and sharing their story. You have just a little bit more time to hit us up on the voicemail for the uh, Camp's Heroes or Unsung Heroes, your camp hero. Um, so do that. We've got some great uh, content coming already, and we are looking for a little more. And we'll have that episode coming soon to this podcast.